All right, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. It's a short passage, so uh, I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 7 through 12 this morning. So the Apostle John writes this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So we've been in this uh, series that we've been calling Gifts Under the Tree. And, and uh, we've been obviously talking about the gift of God's son given to us. Uh, 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas with his birth. And so obviously the birth of Jesus is, is the greatest gift that God uh, has given to us, the greatest gift that the world has ever known. And, and, uh, and then with his birth comes several other gifts. So we've been talking about some of those gifts in, in this series. We've been talking about uh, the gift of hope. And we, we talked about last week the gift of joy. And, and uh, this morning I want us to consider the gift of love. And I want to begin by just telling you a very simple message, church, that God loves you. God loves you. It really doesn't matter where you've been. It really doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You matter to God and God loves you. And that's really the message of Christmas. It's the very practical on the ground message of Christmas. And I think some of us are here today and we need to hear that. In fact, I, I think all of us need to hear that message over and over and over again, that we matter to God. You know, there's a story uh, that I heard about a mom who was really struggling to get into the, into the spirit of the Christmas season. She was just uh, really uh, lacking joy in her life because of some uh, circumstances, some adversity that she had been going through. And she had a second grade son named Nicholas who'd been preparing for his school's Christmas pageant. And uh, she was really excited to get to see him in this pageant. And uh, as she was thinking about it, she thought, well, you know, it is a public school Christmas pageant. So, so this pa Christmas pageant is going to be stripped of all of meaning of Christmas and all focus on, on really what Christmas is all about. And so she kind of just braced herself for that eventuality. And so, so finally she went to the Christmas pageant. She went and sat in the cafetorium with, with the other parents. And so Nicholas's class was called up to the platform and they had them stationed on risers and they were singing this song entitled Christmas Love. And Nicholas's mom was kind of intrigued by that because she thought to herself, how in the world are they, they going to be able to explain Christmas love in a public school? So she was just kind of intrigued. And so, so they were singing this song, Christmas Love. And, and, uh, and, and so there were a number of kids who were holding these decorated signs, each with a letter in the words Christmas Love. 
And so one child held up this sign that had C on it. And, and so the song was singing about Christmas and, the, and, and, and kind of the reality of Christmas. And then, and then another child had an H on it and, and she held up that H letter. And, and, they were, and the song was kind of talking about the happiness of Christmas. And, and then there was, a, there was a sign that was held up with the letter R and it was talking about, you know, the red ribbon of Christmas. And so it, this song was working itself all the way through every letter of the words Christmas love. And, and finally, they, they, were, they got to this one little girl who was responsible for holding up the letter M. And it was her turn to hold up this letter. And, and somehow the letter M just got switched in her hands and she held it up and it was a W, it was upside down. And some of the kids in the audience recognized that the letter was upside down. It should have been M instead of, instead of W. And so they started snickering and laughing. But she had no idea that she had that she had made that mistake. And so they just continued singing the song until they, they got through every letter of the words Christmas love and they crescendoed at the end. And all of a sudden, all the kids held up their letters and the little girl again held up the letter W. And, and, and as the song ended, there was a stunned silence over the audience because the word spelled Christ was love. Christ was love. You know, as we think about, you know, the Christmas story, it really is a love story from God written through his son, Jesus Christ, to every single one of us. In fact, I, I would submit to you today, church, that the entire Bible is a love story. It's the love story of God pursuing prodigal people. In fact, if you were you know, to take your Bible and to read from start to finish. And you're just carefully observing the unfolding of the storyline of Scripture. What you would see is that the most prominent theme that you see over and over and over again, hundreds, thousands of times, is that God loves sinful people. That's what you would see. That from the beginning of human history till its last day, what you see is God loving sinful people that's what the entire bible is about because sinful people are the only kind of people that there are and 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 so that's what we see in scripture and i think we we have this tendency as we think about the bible to kind of romanticize the bible characters you know we think about abraham and his faith and we think about noah and his obedience and we think about david and his heart for worship and our mindset is we need to be like abraham we we, we need to we need to imitate the faith of abraham and, and we need to we, we need to we, we, need, we need to kind of be like Noah and his obedience and uh, we need to worship God like David. And so we, we think of these characters as spiritual giants, as spiritual heroes of the faith, men and women that you and I need to emulate. But if you would read it a little bit more carefully, what you would find is every single Bible character was a broken sinner. That every single one of them messed up. That they, like us, struggle trusting God and obeying God and worshiping God, just like all of us. And what you see over and over again through Scripture is God loving those characters just like he loves us. You see God blessing them. You see God guiding them. You see God forgiving them. You see God using them. You see God speaking to them. You see God over and over loving them. And so the message comes back clearly uh, clear as a bell. God loves you. You matter to him. That's the story 
of Christmas. Now, when I, when I say that God loves you now, church, I'm not talking about sappy sentimentality. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that this God gets a gushy feeling, you know, every time he looks at you. That's, that's, not, what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about the fact that love is who God is. That's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4. Let me just show it to you in verse 8. Let me show it to you again. John writes this, anyone who does not love doesn't know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, what he's saying here is this, that love is who God really is, according to John. That's who God really is. You and I struggle to love because it doesn't come natural to us. But love is absolutely the fabric of who God is. It's his nature. It's, in, it's, it's his character. Let, let me show it to you in verse 9. John writes this, in, in this the love of God has made manifest among us. So in other words, what God has done is he's held up the word love and he has shown it to us and he's revealed his love in a certain way. How did he do that? That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And then he says the same thing in verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if you were to ask any Christian, does God love you? I, I, 99.9% of them, if not 100%, would say, yeah, yeah, God loves me. But the question then becomes, how do we really know that? Like, how do I know that God really loves me? I mean, we hear this all the time. God loves us and, and, and sometimes it, you know, it gets into our head, it never gets down into our heart. But how do we really know that God loves us? How, how does the love of God tangibly and practically manifest itself to us, reveal itself to us? Well, I want to give you three words that I think describe the love of God for us. And that first word is love pursues. Love pursues. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, the love of God chases us. The love of God pursues us. When a man and a woman fall in love, what do they do? They pursue each other. I mean, it didn't take me that long after meeting Luann that I was ringing the doorbell on her front door. I, I was writing letters to her. Writing letters was something you did before text messages and email. I, can't, I, I know it's like ancient history to you, but uh, I really did write her letters. I, I, I called her on the phone. I asked her out on dates. What was I doing? I was chasing her. I was pursuing her. And uh, that's exactly what God does. And so the way that you know God loves you, the way that that is tangibly demonstrated is that he came to earth. He didn't just sit back and wait for you to make the first move because we would have never made the first move. He came to us. He's the initiator and he made the first move. In fact, one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which we just sang about, which means God with us. He came to us. And you see this so clearly in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 15. It's a it's, it's really three parables of increasing intensity. Three parables back to back to back that communicates one incredible truth, God's love and pursuit of us. The first parable is the parable about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep. 
and he loses one of those sheep. And what the parable tells us is the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes and pursues that one sheep. You know why? Because the one sheep was so valuable that he was worth pursuing. He was worth chasing. And that's what the shepherd did. And then there was a second parable, increasing in its intensity evermore, where the second parable that Jesus tells is a woman who has 10 valuable coins and she's getting ready for bed one night and she counts those coins and she realizes she's lost one of them. And, and what she does, the scripture says, is she turns on her lamp, she begins sweeping the entire house, she's, she begins looking, tearing that house apart until she finds that one lost coin. You know why? Because that one coin is so valuable. It's worth tearing the house apart to find it. And then the third and final parable of Luke 15 is, is the story of increasing intensity of a father who loses his son. The son claims his inheritance early, leaves home, goes to a faraway place, and immediately begins squandering his father's inheritance on, on wild living. He lives in this for a season of time. And then, and, then, and then the Bible just kind of talks about him coming to his senses and he realizes what he's been doing. And he decides it's time to come home. And, uh, and, and I, I guarantee you that father went out on the front porch of his house every single day and scanned the horizon, hoping that would be the day that his son would return home. And he did it day in and day out. Until finally, Luke tells us in Luke 15, 29, it says this, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and noticed this. He ran and embraced him. He chased him. He pursued him once he saw him and he kissed him. Now, what is, what is Jesus trying to tell us in these three parables back to back to back? He's trying to communicate who we are when we were when we were lost in sin. He's, tr he's trying to communicate that this is what God did for us, that he loved us so much, he pursued us, he chased us, because in his mind, we are valuable in his sight. He came to us. Now, we, we need to be very clear about this. Uh, you know, God didn't pursue us because there was something inherently lovable about us. God didn't pursue us because there was something inherently good and virtuous about me. Or you, you know, God didn't pursue us because, because you know, we were, we were righteous and holy and all of that. No, God pursued us because, because he loved us, because love is his nature. Love is the essence of who he really is. And it had nothing to do with us. He pursued us and loved us even when our backs were turned on him, which is what we're going to see here in just a minute. And this is, not, this is not a concept that we see only in the New Testament. We see it very explicitly in the Old Testament as well. Let me show you a verse from Ezekiel 34, 16. You see the gospel, again, right in the middle of the Old Testament, where God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the people of Israel who rebelled against him, who, who left him, who abandoned him, who walked away from him. And God said, I'm not walking away. I'm pursuing and I'm chasing. It's incredible to me to listen to the testimonies of so many of you, uh, so many people who come to Christ, because they, because 
really it's very common and when you hear the story of somebody coming to Christ it's very common for them to kind of describe who they were before Christ and then the circumstances of how God brought the gospel into their life and they committed their life to Jesus and and they describe all of that and and part of the story invariably you'll, you'll hear this is how they were unaware of how God chased them and pursued them for so many years it was like they were blind to it they were deaf to it they couldn't sense it they didn't even realize it because they were so blind and and so dead in their own selfishness but at the moment they come to Christ they start looking back over their life and they see example after example after example where God was speaking where God was moving where God was revealing themselves uh, revealing himself to them in such a powerful way and so and so all of that to say church we know that God loves us because he came he came he stepped out of eternity and into time and he did it pursuing and chasing us but there's a second way that we know that God loves us and that is he sacrifices see love doesn't just pursue love goes another step it sacrifices and um, and so the way that you see this is you see this kind of love demonstrated in giving that's how love is demonstrated see we show love when we give and the more that we love guess what the more that we give the the deeper that we love the more sacrificial the giving and what God did he didn't give a little bit he gave everything and that in itself is an on the ground tangible expression of the love of God it couldn't be more clear his love for you and for me. And you see this uh, in verse 10, where John talks about this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so that's how we know that God loves us. He sent his son. Now, there's an interesting word in that, in that verse and we've not talked about it a whole lot, but I wanna, I wanna talk about it a little bit this morning. Uh, it's the word propitiation. It's not a word we, we hear a lot. You, you only really he- see it in scripture, uh, but, but definitely it, is, it has uh, significance for us as we kind of consider how does God love us? Propitiation just simply means to appease the wrath, to appease wrath and anger. That's what propitiation means. So what John is saying is is Jesus came and his life and his death appeased the wrath of God. He gained the goodwill of someone who's offended. And that was was God the Father. Now, let let me me explain propitiation this way. Because this is so important, especially in the cultural moment that we are in today. You will often hear it said from talking heads in our society today and even progressive kind of liberal churches that God is not a God of wrath, that God is only a God of love. And you hear this over and over again, that God accepts everyone, he approves of, you know, of everything that you know, that, 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 we, that we do. He never judges, if you will. And this is kind of the picture of, of God that's, that's really kind of, you know, put out there and propagated. And it's almost like the definition of love is changing. 
And so people will say, well, if you don't approve of my lifestyle and how I live and the things that I do, then you don't love me. And it's kind of just a trump card that people throw down. And I mean, how do you even respond to that? You know, uh, you, you're, you don't approve of what I do, so therefore you, you don't even, you don't love. And so people, people describe God in this way, that he's not a God of wrath. He's a God of, he's, a, he's kind of a benevolent old man that just kind of goes along with everything. And this is, this is the cultural message that we hear so many times, especially in churches that, that are not uh, really reading the Bible. And, and, then, and that's exactly kind of how I would say it. Anybody that says that God is not a God of wrath, they've not read the Bible. Because there are hundreds and hundreds of examples in Scripture where you see God's anger towards evil and God's wrath towards sin. Now, what is that? Well, what I would say is this, that God's wrath and anger towards sin is his righteous response towards sin and evil. In fact, I, I would say it like this, that God is a God of wrath, that the wrath of God is actually an expression of his love for us. It really is. It's an expression of his love. So when you think about when you think about the love of God, you think about the attributes of God, there are two words that theologians put together that kind of describe the attributes of God. And the two words that they put together to kind of sum up who God is, is that he is holy love. He's holy love. So there's two things coming together there. His holiness means he's perfect goodness. He's perfect righteousness. He's perfect purity. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There's no sin in him at all. He's perfect in his goodness. And then he combines that holiness with love. And what we see in the cross is a perfect expression of the wrath of God, but also the love of God. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. And let me, let me just say it this way. You would not want to worship a God who was not a God of wrath, who, was, who did not righteously respond to evil. You wouldn't, wanna, you wouldn't wanna have anything to do with him. Do you know why? Because as soon as you see some undescribable, unspeakable evil in the world, your, your thought is, why doesn't God do something about this? Why doesn't God bring vengeance, right? Why doesn't he punish the evildoer? He will. He will. And uh, in fact, let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. There's a, a British uh, mystery writer named P.D. James. And uh, in, in one of, one of uh, P.D. James's novels is a, a detective who shares this common sentiment uh, that, that, that says this, uh, and I quote the character in in, in one of the books, I, I, I don't go for all of this emphasis on sin and suffering and judgment. If I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. To which this detective's Jewish colleague responds by saying, I doubt you would find him much of a comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers you might prefer in that situation a God of vengeance. 
bingo. Let me, let me tell you how theologian Todd Billings says it, says it so well and succinctly. A God without wrath is a God who whitewashes evil and is deaf to the cries of the powerless. A student of mine who grew up in a gang culture and had many whom he loved taken from him by violence told me with profound honesty that if God will not avenge, I am tempted to avenge. Precisely because God is a God of love, he is also a God of holy wrath. So really what he's saying there is this, that the wrath of God is actually an expression of his love. It is a part of who he is. He is is holy love. So as we're talking about propitiation, what we're talking about is that God's wrath is not capricious. It's not whimsical. He's not some out of control, angry pagan deity who's just kind of flying off at the edge. No, no, the, the anger of God towards evil in the world is steady, unrelenting, uncompromising antagonism towards evil in all of its forms and praise be to God that it is. Here's the incredible thing about the gospel. This is, where, this is what blows your mind. God is the one who makes propitiation. It was his idea, not ours. He made propitiation. It is actually his expression of his mercy and grace. L- listen to how John Stott, the theologian, puts it like this. He says, God does not love us because Christ died for us. No, Christ died for us because he loved us. And here's, here's the thing I want you to, don't want you to miss. If it's God's wrath which needed to be propitiated, it is God's love that did the propitiating. So, so what he's saying there is this, he, he, he's simply saying the wrath of God had to be propitiated for, but it was the love of God that did the propitiating. So it's the holiness that required it, but it was the love that fulfilled it. And he did it by taking our place, by paying our debt, by absorbing the punishment of our, of our sinful choices. So, so how, does, how does Jesus do this? How does, how does he do this? Um, well, let me, let, me, let me explain it this way. September 29, 2006, there was a United States Navy SEAL. His name was Michael Monsoor. He was on a roof in Ramadi, Iraq, and he was um, flanked on either side of him with two uh, other Navy SEALs who were in the sniper position. And uh, in just a split second, uh, an insurgent who was on the ground took a grenade and threw it up on the roof. It hit Michael Monsoor in the chest and it landed right at his feet. He had a split second to make a decision. Thankfully, there was a doorway right to his, to his right, which he could have easily escaped through, unharmed but he chose not to do it. You know what what his choice was? He yelled out as loud as he could, grenade, and he threw himself on the grenade. The grenade exploded, and uh, 30 minutes later, Michael Monsoor was dead, and his two teammates who were up on that roof with him only had minor injuries to their bodies because Michael absorbed 
the wrath of that grenade that day. In fact, one of Michael's buddies said at his funeral, he said, he said, Mikey looked death in the face and he said, you are not gonna take my friends, I will go instead. And that is exactly how Jesus, that's exactly what he did for you and for me. That's why Christmas is such a big deal is because Jesus came and he threw himself on the grenade of our sin absorbing it in his own body, in his own flesh, so that we wouldn't have to. Now, church, let me shoot straight with you. Nothing required him to do that. He wasn't made to do that. He wasn't required to do that. He just did it because he's love, because he loved you and me. And so how do I know God loves me? Because he dove on that grenade for me. He gave his very best the Father gave his very best for our propitiation. That's what propitiation means. The holiness of God demanded it and the love of God fulfilled it. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? That's exactly what's being communicated here. And then there's another word. We know that God loves us because he pursues us. We know that God loves us because he sacrificed for us. But we also know that God loves us because love endures love endures let, let me show let me show you this in verse 9 John writes it this way in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us so what he's talking about there is this we didn't love God he first loved us and and so he loved us church when we were actively rebelling against him now think about this, you and I as creatures, we struggle, we struggle loving. Now we love people that love us, but we really struggle loving people who are not very loving towards us, don't we? And we all do that. And we struggle in particular loving people who are our enemies. But this is the part of the very fabric and nature of God that, that, he, that he loved us when when we had rejected him when we had turned our back on him. In fact, it's not that we didn't love God and he, you know, he loved us as we didn't love him. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians, we were actually enemies of God. We were sons and daughters of disobedience, the scripture says. We had made an alliance with the prince of this world. And yet even in all of that, God still loved us. God demonstrated his love uh, for us. And so even while we were living in, in, in rebellion against him. And so, so his love for us endured our lack of love for him. That is unbelievable when you think about it. Now, why do we need the enduring love of God? Well, very simply, we, we need the enduring love of God because as Christians, we still struggle with sin. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, okay. You're awake, all right. Very good. Um, we need God's enduring love because we still fight and wrestle with sin. Think of it this way. 
God pursued you. God chased you down. God wooed you into a relationship with him and brought you uh, into the family of God and to a relationship with Jesus. But there have been times in your life and in my life when we said, you know what? I'm not really crazy about the things of God right now. I think I'll just do my own thing. Haven't you said that? I've said it. As a Christian, as a child of God, I've said, nah, I'm, I'm going to just shelf him right now. It's called a moment of temporary insanity. That's exactly what that's called. Now, can I just ask a simple question? Did God stop loving you at that moment? No. Do you know what he did? Even in the moment, as a child of God, where you turned your back on him, he stayed. He persisted. He didn't give up on you. You see, God's enduring love really speaks to God's consistent and constant love even when you and I are inconsistent and unconstant. The enduring love of God really speaks to his faithfulness even when we are unfaithful to him. And we need that. I mean, how many times, church, have you fallen into the same sin over and over and over again and you're confessing it to God over and over again and you're thinking to yourself he's got to be done with me he's got to be done he's got to give up I'm just too stupid I just keep doing this and uh, have you done that he doesn't love like we love See, love doesn't come natural to us. That's why we struggle with it. We're just projecting how we struggle with love onto him. He's perfect love. He, his love for us never wavers. It persists. It stays even in the moments of our temporary insanity. Isn't that great news as a Christian? It's awesome news. Now, you could say, well, that's really good news, Scott. I can just live as a Christian and kind of go out and live a life of sin and just do whatever I want to do. Um, and what I would say to that is, you died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? You were crucified with Christ. That's not who you are. And if you kind of choose to persist in it, whatever it might be, whatever sin it might be, you have to be reminded that God disciplines those that he loves. Just like a father and a mother will discipline a child that they love. And I can speak from experience. His discipline is not very fun. So you have every motivation to say, you know what? I'm secure in the love of God. And with this help, I'm going to overcome this. There's something that happens as we realize God's love for us and how perfect it is as we begin to realize it more and more as we begin to internalize the love of God what you find is your love for him starts to grow more and more and you begin to realize that as your love for him grows more and more your your overcoming sin becomes more and more real we tend to think, I'm going to beat sin by trying harder, doing more, and being better. I'm just going to really buckle down. I'm going to tighten the bolts down. I'm going to really get it together. I'm going to really measure up. And that's not how it works. The way that we overcome sin is that we love something else more than the sin that we struggle with. And who is that? It's Jesus. 
So we overcome sin the more and more that we love him, the more and more that we see his incredible, his staying love for you and for me. And that's really good news because you know what? The truth is there are a lot of you struggling right now, but I'll tell you this, God doesn't struggle loving you. He doesn't. And so even as a Christian, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you've said, God can forgive and give you a new start and that can begin today. Now, let me just close with this. What are the implications of the love of God? Let me, let me give you just two, two implications of God's love. I think the first one is this. You, you need to stop running. As we think about the love of God, the first implication is you just need to stop running from God. Some of you are running right now. And, uh, and you, need to, you need to stop running from God and you need to turn around and go home. You need to run back to your heavenly father who's waiting for you and who'll meet you. And even, here's the interesting thing, is even religious people can run from God. Even people who consider themselves good people can run from God. It happens all the time. The thing about it is, is our religiosity and our, our efforts to be good are not enough to appease the wrath of God. They fall short. And we make the assumption, and it's a false one. Oh, well, you know, God will accept me into heaven. He'll, he'll save me. You know, he has to save me because I'm such a good person. You're assuming that God requires goodness to get into heaven, and he doesn't. He requires perfection. And that's why Jesus is our ticket to heaven because he was perfect in our imperfection. And so when we put our faith and trust in him, his perfection comes to us. And that's why we can run home to the father. I, I love how Max Lucado says it. He says it like this, the love of God is too good to be true, but it's also too good to be missed. It's too good to be missed. So we need to stop running. And then secondly, and I'm going to start meddling at this point, especially during the holiday season, is we need to start loving. We need to start loving. You know, I, I saw a meme this week and it said this, I love every single sum of you. Doesn't that sound like a holiday family gathering? I love every single sum of you. That is our human nature, right? to be very selective in our love because we only have so much love. So we have to allocate it in the right places. You know, human love has limitations. It has conditions to it, but not, but not the love of God. In fact, what John says in chapter four, verse 11, is he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So what he's saying is this, you, you've heard the expression, hurt people, hurt people. Well, what John is saying is loved people, love people. That's what he's saying. Loved people, love people. Because when you, when you come to realize how much God loves us, you're filled up with his unending love. 
which gives you all the supply that you need to love the strange and difficult and wonderful people in your life. That's exactly. And he gives us two reasons why we need to love other people. The first one is this. We need to, we need to love other people because it really demonstrates that God's love is in my heart. Like the fruit of his working in my heart is the fact that I'm loving someone else. You see it in verses seven and eight. He says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And so it just demonstrates that the love of God has been poured into your life. It's a fruit of that. And so that's one reason why we need to, we need to love. But there's another reason why we need to love that he gives in verse 12. When we love others, God's love is perfected and completed in us. Let me show it to you in verse, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, he says, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so in other words, his love is made complete in us. So, so as, I'm choosing, as I'm choosing to sacrifice for others, even when I don't feel like it, when I choose to love others, to be patient, kind, and gentle, all the characteristics of love, God is working in me. He's working in me to change me. He's, he's making me into the man of God he wants me to be. As I choose obedience to him, as I choose to rely on his love so that he can love people through me, what, what he's doing is he's working a miracle in my own life and he's prepping me for eternity. And I say this all the time, God's getting us ready for heaven. He really is. We're in prep school right now, school's in session. And he's bringing a whole lot of difficult people in our life for us to learn how to love. Have you figured out, church, that loving other people is hard work? Can I get an amen to that? It's not a gushy feeling. It's hard work. That's what it is. And so over time, as I say yes to God, he changes me into the person he wants me to be. And that's why you're here. He's doing the same thing in you. He's just getting you ready for heaven. Because he's going to perfect this in us, which is why heaven is so amazing. Because he's getting us ready for it. Now, let me close with this. Three questions. Who is it, number one, that you need to pursue today? As you think about the people in your life, who is it that you need to pursue who is it that you need to be chasing? I'm not talking about, you know, a girlfriend or a boy. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about who is it that in your life that is far from God? You need to be praying for them. You need to be loving them. Who is it that you need to pursue? Secondly, how do you need to sacrifice? How do you need to give of yourself? What kind of gentleness, what kind of patience do you need to manifest in this relationship? How do you need to sacrifice? Because love sacrifices. That's what God did for you. That's what we do for others. Lastly, what is it that you need to endure? We're all flawed, broken people. And there are just things that need to be endured. Because, just because. We live in a society that is all about disposable relationships. We, we live in cancer culture society where we just give up on people. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on us? So, so what do you need to endure in someone else? This is how I know that God loves me. He pursued me, 
He sacrificed for me and he endures me. And he does the same thing for you. That's what Christmas is all about. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we can't even imagine your love. But man, we know it and we see it. And we're grateful for all that you've done. We're grateful in how Jesus threw himself on the grenade of our sin, of our evil, and he absorbed the blow for us. No greater way to demonstrate love than that. And so God, I just ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through human power, human imagination, but through the power of your spirit, your love would be manifested to us today in real time, that we would have understanding and God, that we would experience that love firsthand, that we would, by your mercy, by your enablement, that we would fathom the grace of God, the love of God for us today. What an amazing season it is. A season not where we celebrate busyness and chaos and all the things, but a season where we remember all that you've done for us. That your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection is the greatest gift of all an expression of hope, joy, and love. May it be real to us today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.